Welcome to the One Hand at a Time podcast. I'm your host, Chris Welton, and I have a really cool guest today joining me. It's incredible that we're sitting across from each other here um, through our Riverside platform, but he is the first adaptive Peloton instructor, a CrossFit stud, and honestly, one of the nicest dudes I've ever had an opportunity to meet with. And a huge motivation for me to get back in shape a couple of years ago when I saw him on ESPN. And so we'll get really in detail about that, but Logan Aldridge, welcome to the show, brother. Chris, thank you so much for having me, man. Such an honor. So cool to finally connect. Yeah. We've been in touch, knew of each other for so long. Love this podcast title, one head at hand at a time. I think there's so much to unpack from that in regards to mentality, mindset, and how we approach life. So love everything you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. Honored to be here. So I want to start out with, um, did, did you think it was weird when I, when I asked you what shoe size you wore? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is the funniest story. This is the story. Ever, I've told everyone this story, Chris, because you know, amongst my, my peers at Peloton, I'll be wearing those shoes and I get so many compliments, you know, rocking a pair of fresh Jordans, you're getting compliments wherever you take them. So, uh, yeah, that has been the funniest story to tell folks and what a start to a great relationship that we've been able to establish here. Uh, for those listening, uh, would love to explain that story. So funny, you know, Chris and I have been well aware of each other, following touching base through social media. Instagram is a great platform to do that, to meet other folks in the adaptive space. And uh, as an upper extremity advocate and athlete myself, and Chris as well, was seeing his content and loving it. And then, yeah, you sent me this DM asking for my shoe size and my address. And I was like, I don't know if Chris knows, but like, I have a lot of shoes. I've gotten a lot of shoes and I, and I don't really need a shoe right now, but I was like, I'm always open. So I was like, and I was like, what is this all about? And you're like, just, just trust me. It's my calling card. I'm just going to do something. So I gave you my shoe size, gave you my address. A couple of weeks later, a box shows up. I open the box and I'm like, huh, this is cool. Love the Jordan box. I opened it and there's one shoe in there. And I was like, oh, does, does Chris think that I'm a lower extremity athlete and I just have one leg or something? Like, what's going on here? And I shoot you a DM and I was like, how do I word this? I'm grateful. I'm appreciative. I'm glad I got one shoe. It's a really cool shoe. But I was like, I'd really like the other one. So I sent him, I sent you that DM. I was like, hey, just got one. And you're like, hey, just give me 15 minutes on a Zoom and I'm happy to send you the other. And I was like, oh, I was like, dude, you could have just asked for the Zoom. I would have been happy to chat with you. But I was like, this is quite the way to incentivize me hopping on a meeting real quick. So I was eager to do it, eager to get the other shoe. Um, and yeah, got the other shoe now. Thank you so much, man. It's my favorite pair of shoes. I wear them hitting golf balls, wear them teaching Peloton classes, wear them all over the place. It's been awesome. Yeah, I, yeah. I love the fact that you're wearing them. And and I'm, I'm obviously a huge Jordan fan. I've got a big collection of Jordans. And I, I got that idea from a guy named Brad Lee. He said, if you want to connect with other people, here's a quick way to do it. Send them one shoe and a handwritten note. And I was like, hey, okay. So I've done it three times now. I did it with Damon really? West, who's the author of the book, The Coffee Bean. I yep. did it with yep. um, Ben Newman, who is like a big, he's like the mental toughness coach for Alabama and K-State football and a lot of other big athletes. So I have a call yeah. with him uh, next week. So it's nice. three for three. 
three for three. Dude, that's a great way to differentiate, you know, to set yourself apart and to get people captivated and themselves asking questions and wanting to in, involve themselves in understanding what was this about? Why is this happening? I love it. I love it. Very strategic. I love it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. So, you know, it was really cool. And, and when we did our first Zoom call, we spoke real quick. We got dialed in with stuff and you blew me away with several different things. But I, I got to tell everybody that the, the thing that resonated with me with the most was he said, hey, you're in Florida. And I said, yeah. He said, I'm playing in this golf tournament the National uh, North American Association of One-Arm Golfers in near Tampa. You should come over. I'm like, done. I'm coming. Yeah. So my wife and I, Nikki, drove over on a Saturday. The weather was not Florida-esque weather. It was kind of cold. But I was able to grab a golf cart and ride around and follow Logan for nine holes. And we had a great conversation and even at the driving range. So thanks for being so inviting to me to do that. And um you know, it opened my eyes to the more possibilities of other people out there I need to connect with in the adaptive space. So thank you so much for that. Oh, my pleasure. I, it made so much sense. It was just perfectly fitting. I was like, oh, he's in Florida. I mean, Florida's pretty big, but come on, come on over. And, and you know, it was a really unique and fun experience for myself. You know, I'm played golf a lot my whole life, but have never been involved in adaptive golf. There's been a big growth in uh, focus on the accessibility and inclusion in the sport of golf specifically. Uh, you know, my past, gosh, seven, six, seven years in the fitness space and what I've tried to do to create more access and opportunity there, it was just super interesting to learn more about what's happening in the sport and the industry of golf. And then specifically to learn more about, um, yeah, the North American One-Arm Golf Association and what they've been doing for, for decades um, so been in touch with those folks there, had that opportunity to go down there and it was so cool to meet you there and to see you face to face, get to shake the hand, give you a hug and hang out for a bit, man. It was awesome. And thanks so much for coming with us on the, uh, on the front nine. You know, you probably saw me hit a lot of bad shots, learn a lot, how to, what does it mean when it goes out of bounds? How do I take the right amount of strokes? What is all of this tournament play, man? It is a different world, but so much fun. And then more importantly to, to, yeah, the recognition of so many varying versions and examples of different upper extremity athletes, upper extremity golfers, uh, remarkable. And not only, I think golf is a great metaphor for like life and a lot of the ways in which we approach things. And it was cool to see unfold there. Specifically, what I'm talking about is the way in which you hit the ball. How, does, how do you send that ball, advance that ball down the course? And in golf, generally speaking, you're always watching TV, looking at the pros, being like, how can I hit the ball more like that? How can I make my swing, my swing look more like their swing mechanics, focusing on all these little points and techniques? At the end of the day, the mentality of swing your swing, I think, is something we can all learn from. And going down there to Florida and watching those guys play, everybody hits the ball differently. Everybody, some, some one-armed golfers choose to hit it forehand, choose to hit it backhand, other folks have a completely modified, adjusted swing technique that works with them, almost like a snap sort of thing, an incredible ball contact they make. And it was just so cool to see uh, in physical nature how profound this, this mentality of adapt and overcome, adapt and thrive, adapt and conquer, however you want to see it. That word adapt means to find your version, your solution, recognize the problem, the challenge, the obstacle, and find a way to overcome, to persevere, to find the way that works for you. And it was so cool to see the, what, 70 
plus other golfers, one-arm golfers out there performing at an incredibly high level. I was one of the worst golfers out there and it was very humbling and frankly expected. I'm not good and, and have a long way to go. I'm excited to get better and focus on the game. But yeah, that was so cool. In the same way that it was for you, a bit eye-opening, like, wow, okay, there's a lot just right here. Uh, it was similar to me. It was just like, this is a tribe. This is a community, a sub-community within the broader golf community itself that is extremely welcoming. Everyone felt like family. Everyone is, you know, the unspoken agreement of understanding how you do that with one arm. How do you do that? Exchanging different life hacks and things like that. Like, I think I taught um, a couple dozen guys how to tie their shoes with one hand. And, you know, it's funny, the little things that we go so long with being like, well, I just don't do that. Um, and it's cool to have that opportunity to not only hang out, play together, but to share, share information, share uh, life hacks, things of that nature. And that's what it's all about, man. That's the open source idea. That's the way I got into fitness. That's my passion for golf. It's this idea of when you find a solution, when you find something that works, you're excited to share it. Not because you want to brag about what you've discovered, but because you know the impact and opportunity that has to help someone else or to get someone out of that mindset of, I can't, that's impossible, there's no way. And now someone's showing you there is a way. Whether that then triggers a different way that you do it, but you recognize it can be done with a creative solution or not. I think that's a uh, that's been my attraction so far to, to golf in general and especially adaptive golf and the opportunities it's bringing folks. Yeah, it was really, it was amazing because usually the only other time I'm in, in a room with another one-armed person, I'm at a Def Leppard concert. So, you know, it, it doesn't, <laughs> it, it doesn't happen very often. And then I'm there with 70 people and they were all, cause I was a newbie, right? Nobody knew me. Most of the people knew each other and they were so inviting. And so like, you need to come here do this, go play with us here. And, a couple guys got my number. They're going to be in Orlando next month. They're like, Hey, we want to come play golf with you. And it was just the most inviting um, environment, which was really, really cool. So that was Absolutely. a big deal for me. And thanks for inviting me to that. I, I want to start, I want to ask you another question, Logan. And I get this question asked all the time and I have my, my whole life cause I'm a congenital amputee. Right. So, right. and I'm sure you get the same people come up to me and they ask me what happened to your arm? <laughs> I get asked this all the time and I love telling this story and interrupt me whenever you'd like, Chris, because this can sometimes turn into a long winded answer. But uh, being you know, above elbow and I think because I've gone so long now with one arm and some of the things that I do comfortably and confidently, I get the assumption a lot that I was born this way. Mm -hmm. um, that's not the case. That was not the case for me. I uh, born and raised in Raleigh, North Carolina. And whole families from there. And we spent all of our summers at a lake house, a lake close about an hour away um, called Lake Aston, North Carolina, Virginia border. And when I was 13, when I was really like 10, I discovered wakeboarding and, and wakeboarding for those listeners who are unaware. It's like skiing, skiing behind the boat, but you're on a board. And the idea as a sport is to jump the wake that the boat creates, the waves the boat creates and do tricks and flips and stuff and there's competitions and and uh, it's a professional extreme sport. And I fell in love with it at an early age, 10, 11 years old at our lake house. So our family got a wakeboard boat, um, frankly, invested a lot in my passion and desire to really become competitive in this sport. Uh, my parents were both recreational water skiers, pretty good, but never really competitive or pursued it in that way. But they were open to me um, wanting to focus on that. So 
training for a few years, going to camps, working with pros, learning technique, how to jump better, trying to put together competitive sets and just work my way into competing and wakeboarding. And at the age of 13, uh, it was Saturday, typical Saturday training with a buddy of mine who lived about five docks down, a few years older than me, kind of like a, a mentor friend in the world of wakeboarding. And we just finished riding with my parents on the boat and some family friends. And we dropped him off at his dock and the sun was going down. We we're going to go in and have dinner and do it all over again tomorrow, the next day. And at my responsibility at 13 on the boat would be to tidy up the boat, pull in the rope, put away the life jackets, get everything ready. So we pull into the dock. And so I did that after we dropped my friend off at his dock, we drop him off. He hops off. We push back and we just have like five docks to go, maybe, you know, 60, 70 yards. So we just put the boat in gear. My dad's driving the boat, just puts the boat in gear. We're just putting along. And I began to pull in the rope. And for those listeners that might be unfamiliar with a wakeboard boat in this setup, there's a tower that kind of goes over the middle of a wakeboard boat. And that's where the rope connects so that when that rider is riding, it's a little bit of an upward pull. So it's not connected off the back. It's kind of on this tower over the middle of the boat. And then wakeboard boats, ski boats, uh, typically don't have the motor out the, in the back, an outboard motor. It's up underneath the boat. So there's this back platform that you stand on to put your board on and you jump in the water. So long-winded way of me kind of painting a picture, picture here. But um, I began to pull in the rope. And I used this technique that folks may use for an extension cord or a garden hose or a rope where you're looping it over your thumb, under your elbow, kind of holding that 90 degree and thumbs out. So I had a couple loops like that, and this wakeboard rope specifically, most of them are this way, very, very thin. This one actually was coated in a plastic coating. Um, so it, it really looks and acts like a cable. It has no elasticity. You want it very tight and stays even when tension's on it, doesn't expand or shorten. Um, so it really acts like a cable. So I had a couple loops like that wrapped around my arm with one end being connected to that anchor point, the tower on the boat, and the other end just out in the water. Uh, when we pushed off, we backed over a little bit of the rope. And again, that motor's really way underneath the boat. So it wasn't even that alarming to see that there was a little bit of rope drifted underneath the back platform of the boat. There's like a wedge, a thing down there that makes the wake bigger. thought it might be caught on that. Uh, so I, my eyes looked back and noticed that that rope was back there and it was kind of a little bit, a little bit tight. And I was like, oh, it must be caught on something. So I turned to my dad and said, ah, dad, rope's underneath the boat. Um, and as taking the safety precaution as he should, he immediately went to turn off the motor. But between the words coming out of my mouth saying, dad ropes underneath the boat and him reaching to turn off the motor, it was the timing, the incredible timing of that moment, that maybe a second, half a second, where the propeller moving very fast, but just enough to us be putting along, actually caught a piece of that rope. And so quickly, right after I said those words, that rope coiled around the propeller and doing so it caused that tension to get very, very tight, very, very fast from the anchor point being on the tower, my hand with the two loops, my arm with the two loops around it. And then that point in the propeller where it got wrapped around. So painting that picture, you can imagine then a lot of tension just came in through this rope, causing it to slip off of my thumb. I think, frankly, I think it broke my thumb and I just didn't realize how it happened it fast. And then cinched down around my upper arm, around the bicep, tricep. Imagine two circles around there with either end having tension and tightness and get, getting pulled. It's just an extreme tourniquet that occurred. And it happened so fast and it was so quick and explosive that it cut down through the muscle, through the flesh, 
down to the bone in a really weird looking situation where a quick jerk, I'm still standing there on the back of the boat. My arm's now not at 90 degrees holding that rope. It's just straight out. And the rope looks like it's going in on the inside of my bicep on my inner arm and just coming out on the outside of my arm. It looked wild. You couldn't even see really the lacerations that it caused from cinching down. It did it so fast and so tight. Uh, so my mom notices this looks very strange. She says, Wesley is on my dad's name. My dad just steps over from the few feet he is away at the, the cockpit of the boat. And he begins to unwind that rope. When he does that, and at this moment, I haven't felt any pain. I just felt a little jerk and a little sensation. I'm just looking at this rope. Looks like it's going in the arm and out the other side. I'm like, what is, what is this? This is so bizarre. And I recognized that I couldn't move my hand. My arm was straight out, but like I, my hand was just kind of laying limp and I couldn't move any of it. I'm like, That's weird. As soon as my dad went to unwind that rope, which was immediately, uh, it was the classic version of like blood spray without getting too graphic. But I yeah. mean, artery coming right out of the heart. Down, I learned this later. <laughs> artery coming right out of the heart down the left arm. So that had just been severed. So when he unwound that rope, the amount of blood uh, loss was extreme. We're on a 23 foot white uh, wakeboard boat. And within the... I'd say five, six seconds it took from after he unwound it to him ripping his shirt off to wrap it around my arm. The whole boat was covered in blood. I mean, it was like a Quentin Tarantino movie where it just, you just like freaking 300 where just blood just flies. It was honestly unreal, unreal. Couldn't believe uh, that much blood could be in a body and explode out. Um, so thank goodness my dad wrapped his shirt around, created a very quick, very tight tourniquet. Had he not done so, I'd have bled out in a, just a few minutes. Um, so that happened. You know, the, the chaos is unfolding on the boat. My mom's screaming. My friend who's walking up his dock, up his um, pathway to his house, hears the screams, turns around, hears call 911. He runs in the house, calls 911. Granted, this lake, lake house in the area we are is sort of in the middle of nowhere. Like there's not really much around. There's not a big city around. The closest thing would be going back to Raleigh, North Carolina. And in the state of chaos and uncertainty and unknowing, we just waited for an ambulance. So we get back to our dock. I'm still thinking, I'm 13. I'm a scrawny little 13 year old kid, assuming, you know, we're just gonna go eat dinner, typical day, and wake up tomorrow morning and wakeboard. This moment happens. And I'm like, okay, this is a wild dream. Uh, first thing in my head was, this is the wildest dream. There's no way this is actually happening right now. So I wasn't able to accept the reality in the first few moments. So I had my dad, as he picked me up and carried me off the boat on our dock, I said, dad, just take me to my bedroom. And he was like, we can't. And I was like, I just need to see myself and I'll wake up. And that was probably one of the harder things for him to hear because, you know, he, as an adult, as a parent, he knew the reality of what was happening. Uh, and for some reason, my brain was trying to find a way for this not to be the truth or what was happening in the moment. So he did. He took me to the bedroom. Right? Yeah, exactly. I think it's all just a state of shock, disbelief. Yeah. And takes me to the bedroom and I see I'm not in the bed and everything clicks. Everything. I'm like, okay, everything today was real. That has happened. This is real. This is really happening. And in that moment... I recognized the reality, kind of nodded my head, took a deep breath and um, started to consider the possible outcomes. Uh, we sat there, waited at our 
lake house for honestly about an hour uh, for the ambulance to arrive. And by the time they did, uh, you know, everyone in our community and our friend group in the neighborhood quickly heard about this, was trying to help, was sitting on different corners of different country roads to direct the ambulance to get to the right house and all of this. Um, and they get there. My mom gets in the ambulance with me. They take us to just the local community hospital. Um, and in that ambulance ride, you know, I can't feel my arm. It's like laying in my lap and I feel like in my, my brain feels like it's laying off to the side. And so I remember saying like, what is that in my lap? And my mom being like, that's your arm. And I was like, whoa, this something is really weird if it's laying here and I feel like it's over there, like something's not right. And that's when I asked my mom the question in the most profound statement was said that has shaped my recovery and my perspective to this day. When I said, mom, what if I lose my arm? Because up until that moment, that thought, I thought this is just going to be a badass scar. This is going to be a wild journey of recovery and rehab. But like, I'm going to have this cool scar around my arm, you know, back in the day when like Bob wire tattoos around your arm were cool. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. This is like my version of that. I'll have this cool scar. Um, but in that moment when I couldn't, the arm was numb, it was turning black and blue and all this. I was like, this, this isn't good. And I said, mom, what if I lose my arm? What if they have to amputate my arm? Because I was left-handed too. This is my left arm. And in that, in that question, she didn't ponder, didn't think much. She just looked at me and said, Logan, it's just an arm. Um, and frankly, as a mom, you know, I don't think she had any idea how impactful that statement would be. What that statement would do psychologically for me in the moment, I think she was, you know, I mean, credit to her for saying it and for the impact it had. Maybe she did and knows the importance of that statement and what it would be. But as a parent, I have to imagine that was a way just trying to manage the situation, focus on life, focus on maintaining life. If you stay alive, whatever, if it's an arm, a leg, an eye, if you're alive after this, this is great. This is great. Uh, so that's where our focus was. And when she said that, it did just that. It switched my brain from this really panicked state of what if, what if, what if, what would happen to it's just an arm. Well, it is only an arm. I do have another arm. Uh, I w well, it, if it's not my life, that's a great thing. If that's what's in, in jeopardy right now, I should be focused and grateful that I'm conscious, that I'm able to think about what would it be like if I lost my arm. And that's what it did. It, sh it triggered this perspective. We got to that local hospital and that, that hospital quickly realized this was level one trauma. There wasn't anything they could do. So they put me back into the ambulance after making sure I was uh, stable enough to get me to a level one trauma. They called Duke UNC Children's Hospital, two different children's hospitals in North Carolina. And um, UNC said, we've got a, our helicopter Tar Heel One medevac unit in the air on the way. Go to these coordinates nearby. So put me back in the ambulance and we go to these coordinates. It ends up being like a field. We're just riding through a field and they open the doors and they pull me out of the ambulance and in that moment, to be honest, the coolest thing happened. I saw this badass Tar Heel One helicopter come swooping in, land in this field. And I turned to the EMS folks and I said, is that for me? And they said, yeah. And I was like, this is badass. And then so they recognized, at least in the moment, I had somewhat of a sense of humor because I did. I was, I, was, I was conscious and able to understand what was happening and how I needed to be airlifted to get to level one trauma to have all this assessed and managed and, and, and taken care of. So 
they wheel me out to the, the helicopter. And at this point, my parents can't ride with me in the helicopter. So they hop in the car and they're freaking out, zooming to UNC Children's Hospital, talking to family and friends. And um, I fly in there, uh, incredible doctors, staff, nurses asking me questions, not overwhelming, but being completely understanding and asking me questions and taking off, you know, cutting off clothes and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and they rush me into surgery because with that sort of injury where you've severed blood flow and everything to the extremity, you have this window of like six to eight hours somewhere in there where you can reintroduce circulation, reintroduce that blood flow. And we were getting close to missing that window. So the, 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 the biggest focus was regaining blood flow. So they got me into uh, surgery real quick and took a uh, vein artery out of my leg to regain blood flow into the limb. After that, I was in pediatric ICU for a few days and we were monitoring. We were just seeing, okay, blood's flowing in. How, is it pumping out? And the arm swelled up. It got very big. It looked like someone allergic to bees got stung by bees all over the arm. It was just huge, swollen, ballooned limb. And um, I had friends and family massaging the arm. We, they'd come in every few hours with an ultrasound, listening to see if we could hear a pulse, picking it back up. After a few days, went back into surgery to look at the muscles, to see how it was doing. They went in and noticed the muscles were very dead. Uh, and that was confirming the fact that we'd missed that window to regenerate, to reintroduce blood flow and circulation to those muscles and they would pump on their own. So now we get into this consideration of do we continue to try down this path or is gangrene very close? Because once the muscles die, they're dead, they start to bacteria, things of that nature, that gets in the bloodstream, goes back up the limb, That's that becomes a life-threatening condition. So they had to make the tough decision with my parents to amputate and best decision, best decision of my life, best decision of my parents. I'm sure the toughest one I can't imagine as being a parent in that situation, uh, having to decide that for your kid, but they pulled me out and took me out from, um, the, the being under in the anesthesia and told me, he said, Logan, unfortunately those muscles are not taken. We're gonna have to amputate your left arm. And it was a moment my parents were around, brothers around. We cried for a moment and I said, all right, let, let's, let's do this. Let, let it be done. And so we went back into surgery, uh, amputated the left arm as it is. And my first thought when they told me, at the time I was very focused on two things, wakeboarding and lacrosse. It was all I'd spent my time doing. And my first thought when they said, Logan, unfortunately we're gonna have to amputate the left arm. It was not, I cannot, play lacrosse again, or I cannot wakeboard, but it was the first thought in my head was how will I play lacrosse? It was okay. This is going to be one handed now. How will I do this? So I want, um, I want people to hear that real quick. It was, it was not if it was how, right. It was yeah. how, and then also go back when you said that it was, what did you say again about when, when they decided to amputate, it was, a, it was, it a, did you say it was a good thing that it happened? Like, what, like, what was the, was the best yes. outcome from that? Like what, explain well, that a little bit. Absolutely. So in the moment, this is not at all, uh, the assumption or the, the outcome you want or expect or are hopeful for. It was devastating news. It was the worst news to hear because you have, you're hanging on to hope. You're hanging on to this idea of 
this won't change everything. Everything will go back to the way it was eventually. Let's just get through this difficult challenge, situation, unforeseen, unexpected scenario and event. In reflection and looking back, and this isn't just me looking, saying this now, this was a year later, two years later, is when it really started to become clear that amputating that arm was for multiple reasons in the short term and long term uh, in physical ability and psychological perspective, the best thing that could have happened to me for two reasons, for personal development and who Logan is and was, it was the best thing that could have happened to me because I was a bit, I was, I wasn't this much of a nice guy as a young kid. I was kind of a punk. I was kind of a little shithead. I was kind of the guy who was, you know, beer bonging Dr. Peppers and stealing some candy from the gas station if I could get away with it. Uh, I was a rebel. I was a rebel that was nice. I came from a very nice upbringing, great family and friends and loving family and friends, great relationships. But I liked being extreme. I liked being a little edgy, a little aggressive in a lot of ways. And at, after that, accident uh changed my perspective on everything oh, not only on how fragile life is but on how important it is to to help people what it means to go through that experience the staff the people that came to visit me which is a whole nother discussion but like i i recognize that there's so there's such an opportunity to make an impact in this world for other people and what is more there's nothing more fulfilling or more empowering than that and, and so it's, it sounds like I'm trying to create a corny statement or a cliche when I say, yeah, losing my mom is the best thing that ever happened to me. But without a doubt, it is, especially now, especially almost 20 years later, looking at the life I've had the opportunity to live, the people I've had the opportunity to meet, you sitting here on this podcast, none of these things would have come about had it just been a little injury I recovered from and a year or two later, I'm back to having two arms, everything is great. No, it's because of this adversity, I have this different outlook and perspective on um, the value of being able to live and being able to live life. And I'm so grateful. And I've gotten to meet people and interact with folks that are far more inspiring and motivational and, and represent resilience and perseverance in ways that I do not and have not at all. But I don't think I would have had the opportunity and privilege to connect and meet these different folks and to be so motivated and encouraged from their actions uh, had I not had this experience. So in that regard, best thing that I happened think, to me. You know, the big thing for me though, in the beginning there was when, what your mom said, you know, it's just an arm and, and how profound that statement was as a mom watching her son go through that. So I can't wait till one day I get a chance to meet your mom. Cause I want to give her a big hug for that. Cause that is just like, yes. So money. And yeah. when you talk about, making sure you help other people that are in the same situation. For me, I didn't realize I had a responsibility to do that till really late in my life because I wasn't comfortable with being who I was. I would, I was the guy in the pictures who would hide his left side, right? I was right. the guy who, who was afraid to, to hit on the girl because I didn't want to be turned down because I had one arm. And right. when I read some stuff on you this morning about that was you were left-handed. Here's the interesting thing about me, Logan. I'm left-handed also, right? So I have a right hand, but I kick left-footed. I skateboard goofy-footed. I'm a, I'm a left, I have a left brain. I'm a left-handed brain. Yes. And so it's crazy when I think about that, 
And then when, when I, when I read that this morning, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's probably another reason why we connect so well. We're both lefties in the brain there. Right. Even though we don't have those left arms anymore. But- that's exactly right. That's so funny. I know numerous, I know numerous congenital amputees, upper extremity amputees that are that way. Like they would have been in every other way. They are that limb dominant, but because that hand isn't there, they've just by nature had to become obviously the other limb dominant. But had it been presented, had it developed and been there, they would have been that arm dominant. It's so interesting you say that. Yep. So did you, con- once you got recovered from the injury over time and everything, did you continue to play sports in high school and, and everything else? Or did you just jump into to CrossFit type of stuff or how'd that go? Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, so understanding that I am like, I was that kid who like wouldn't finish his food at dinner. We were a super incredible household. We had dinner together every night with the whole family. But I would sit there, take two, three bites and be like, okay, can I go back outside? Okay, can I go back outside? Like I I loved being active, being extreme sports, climbing trees, being in the woods. We grew up on like quite a bit of land on a horse farm. My mom rode horses. So I was constantly outside, uh, very active. And <laughs> it's a great question. And to answer it, is a bit of a story because I was so eager to get back to sport. I was so eager because that's what all my friends did. That's how I, that's, that was how my relationships were forged. All my friendships were through sport, through activity, whether that was soccer, football, lacrosse, any sport, team sport, I participated in. I played it and loved it. And so it was summer. And after I was released from the hospital, football training camp was going on and a really close family friend run a, ran a great training camp at our, our school. And I wanted to get back to taking this training camp with my friends and join them. And now everybody recognized, you know, Logan just had an arm amputated. So like, take it easy. But I, w- I went straight out there like day three after being out of the hospital with this huge bandage and all this gauze and this big dressing on my, my amputation. I go out there and I'm doing like you know, high knees and line drills and all the agility stuff, hill sprints, getting right into it and loving it. Like, honestly, I mean, I was dying out there, you know, trying to get through being sedentary in the hospital bed for two and a half weeks. I was in the hospital for two and a half weeks, quite a long time for an amputation, but because they tried to save it and wanted to monitor and make sure gangrene wasn't setting in and all that. It was about two and a half weeks. And when you amputate, you try to maintain as much limb length as possible for the sake of future, not only levers for the use of your native anatomy, but in the future of prosthetics so that you have the biggest opportunity for a good fit and then good leverage and whatnot. Uh, so they amputate, and because mine was a 360 laceration, it's difficult to do without getting to the specifics of like amputation surgery. You try to wrap a piece of muscle around the distal end, which means the very end of that uh, bone structure so that you're not joining at a point at the very end because that's most susceptible to, to break through. But because mine was 360 and one maintained as much length, they did that. They sutured at the very end, attached the bicep and tricep together at the very end to maintain as much length as possible. So me going straight into activities like that was not ideal. And frankly, I bet you, I bet you the surgeons and doctors would not have signed off on that. But you know, it's just who I was, who I am. And my family, thankfully, was so supportive of that. They're like, Logan wants to go be active. Let's let him do it. What happened was, end of that football training camp, they do like this, you know, get together dinner with all the families to show you some pictures and videos of how it went. And at that dinner, 
the guy who hosted the training camp was uh, a former graduate from the high school I went to who was the all-star quarterback at Penn State and went on to do some incredible stuff in the medical fields. David Fagenbaum is his name. And he comes from a family of physicians, um, orthopedic surgeons. So at this dinner, we're at his dad's house, orthopedic surgeon, good family friend, Dr. Fagenbaum, and we show him. My mom's like, I don't, his, Logan's limb is looking a little weird at the distal end, at the very, at the, where his stitches are. Could you just take a look? So we undo the dressing, the wrap, and he shows it to him. And we show it to him. And when in the first two seconds of showing it to him, he's like, we need to take him to the hospital tomorrow. He needs to go back into surgery tomorrow. And so we are wide-eyed like, what has happened? And apparently I was way too active, moving the arm way too much. And the muscles, the sutures for the muscles had, had broken and retracted. So it was just like white. You could just see white raw bone. It was just a pointy end of bone on oh, the end. Yeah. So again, a very graphic story, but me painting a, a picture of answering your question. Did I get back yeah. to sport? Yeah. And so a month later, I had to go back in, get an inch and a half of that limb taken off. And then now I have what is now my residual limb and how it is. So then after that, I had a, uh, a guard made. It was like a little, basically a prosthetic shell, but just, just enough to cover my limb because I wanted to get back to lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the sport I was going to go to. So I had this guard made. So it was like protective. If I was getting hit, checked by a stick, it was protective. So now I knew physically um, I wasn't, vul- I mean, I might be vulnerable playing with one arm, but my amputation, this limb that's sensitive is not vulnerable now to playing a physical contact sport. So that gave me the psychological confidence to be like, okay, how can I play this sport? What can I do? If I can develop a skill and strength, this isn't going to hurt me here to play. So if I can just play one handed, I will. So I went to, I played ping pong every day, like seven hours every day, uh, with a, closest friend at the time uh we would just hang out in the garage and hit and that was really it was fun first of all but secondly it was helping me develop hand-eye coordination dexterity oh, yeah, that's huge that's so the smart. right hand. in the first i mean first few weeks you know where you'd like your buddy would hit a fast one at you or something i would go to grab it with my left hand so there was so much brain training that was happening rewriting these neural pathways to train the brain to recognize that phantom limb sensation you're feeling, it's not there. It's actually not there because that was all, that was very real at, at the time. You know, the brain for 13 years for me knew two arms. So when it's chopped off, the brain doesn't know, okay, now it's just right. It, you just have a little limb over here. That's it. doesn't know that. It keeps trying to tell you that arm is there, that arm is there. So I would try to like grab the ball sometimes. So it was all really, really good learning examples for me to remind my brain, no, you just have this one. You just have this one. So then that led to the, picking up the lacrosse stick, throwing with my buddy. We'd throw as long as we could before my wrist or forearm got so tired I could barely throw the ball again. And we'd rest an hour or two, go inside, eat something, come back out and do it again. Um, and I just exposed myself to every activity that I did before. And frankly, it was like a psychological rolling snowball of encouragement for me. I was like, okay, can I wake up and take a shower and put on my clothes well? Great, did it. I'm going to brush my teeth, figure out how to do that one hand. Okay, okay, cool. Tie my shoes. Okay, cool. Play ping pong. All right, cool. Throw a lacrosse ball. Okay, great. How about swinging a golf club? Okay, can do that. Okay. So these, all these things kept leading to the next thing to being like, if I can do that, I can get back to doing that. Um, and they all kept building on themselves. And so that was really my exposure and path to getting back to sport 
was just constantly trying to show myself I can. So with lacrosse, I went back to playing. I continued to play for my junior varsity team uh, that year, which is my eighth grade year. And then ninth grade went on to varsity, played varsity all four years, um, was a, a captain of the team and a lead goal scorer. Did well, did well with one arm. Because it was, yeah. you know, it's leveraging your strengths in a sport like that. What did I become great at? Ground balls. Because what does every coach tell every lacrosse player? This is getting in specific of lacrosse, but it's always two hands on the stick, scoop through the ground ball. Well, I had one hand. So I can just poke the stick in there and just grab that ball away from this big huddle of players, flick it up in the air and grab it. And then my shots and passes and dodges became very interesting. because so everybody thought right hand, he's got to go right. I would learn this crossover technique where I could hold the stick behind my under, like behind my left armpit, behind my body and protect the stick. And then I could pass then from being the, a cross body like this, I could pass behind my back, which would very much throw off most defenders in the goalie. Oh, yeah. So I started to do real well in the sport of lacrosse. And I loved when I'd get matched up with a defender and they'd be like, oh, I'm going to take it easy on him. He's got uh -huh. one on him. I need to go to. I'll just, I would literally tell him, I'd be like, your mistake. And then I would just smoke him. I would just go as fast as I could. And I wasn't the best, the best, but I just took advantage of opportunities like that. Well, you're obviously a really good athlete. Anybody that's ever seen you knows you're super athletic. And, and when I played football, I would take, you know, because my amputation is below the elbow, but with the elbows here, yeah. but it's naturally fused together. So I have no movement in the joint, right? So this oh. used to be straight, but I broke it twice playing football. One first oh. time I broke it, it broke it sideways. The second time I broke it, I split it right up the middle. So Ooh. I would take two forearm pads one on each side, and then I would athletic tape them together and make this big flipper, it looked like. And I would hit yeah. people with it on the football yeah. field. And, you know, it's funny because everybody would say, hey, tackle with two arms. Well, I'm not tackling two arms. I'm tackling one and a half. Catch with two yeah. arms when I played baseball, two hands. No, I'm not doing that. But basketball is where I really would get people off guard. They wouldn't want to guard me or whatever. And they would always try to guard me right. Well, I could take the ball behind my back and go left, right? Or I exactly. could spin. And you do that a few times and they're like, okay, now I'm going to guard you. So I hear exactly what you're saying there. <laughs> so similar in the, in the sports structure, offense and defense, yeah. basketball and lacrosse. So exactly right. And Same idea. When I, when I look back on when I was a kid, there wasn't anything for me to base any of this on, right? I had one one-arm person that I knew about, and it was a guy named Jim Abbott. And Jim Abbott was – a major league pitcher with one arm. He threw a no hitter for the Yankees. So I knew about him. So it made me want to be better at baseball, but I had a really good close group of friends that kind of, we played sports all the time. That's all we did was play sports. But I'm so thankful now for the other kids who are going through this. Now they have people that they can see like Logan. And, you know, I, I, I'm a big follower of the lucky Finn project. I don't know if you're aware of them or not, but that's a big deal. I love them. And of course, Nub Athletics is another one. I don't know if you've been in touch with those guys or not, but yep. they're, they're dynamite. And these are all these yep. tools out there to be able to help kids and their parents adapt to that. So I've started thinking that through and I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of people out there like me that are 50 years old that are amputees that haven't been active their whole life. So that's when, when I saw you do the deadlift with the, Aldridge arm, which is the, an amazing invention, right? Yeah, um, the harness. Yeah, I had to get one. So I got one. I started training with the Aldridge arm. And then I bought a one-arm jump rope. And then I've got yeah. the handle for the rowing machine. And 
it changed everything I was able to yeah. do. So I post videos all the time out there, hoping that one other person gets a chance to see them. So what was the whole, in when we, when we first talked, you talked, you, you really were clear about meeting people where they're at and, and, and helping them grow. But how did you come up with the Aldridge arm? Yeah. I mean, out of necessity, uh, great question. And, I, and I'd love to share that. I don't think I've ever really explained this story, especially in a, in a podcast form, but, um, you know, all of these things were finding solutions for myself, trying to find solutions for myself and recognizing that if I'm dealing with this, I'm sure that there are others. And to your point of recognizing that there are others like me around the world, in the world, I was so fortunate while in the hospital, not to take it back to that story, but still while in the hospital, uh, my closest friend at the time, uh, Nine months before my accident, Bethany Hamilton lost her arm in a shark attack. And for those who aren't familiar, yeah. the movie Soul Surfer, that's about her, this Hawaiian incredible professional surfer on the path to be literally number one, dominate the women's uh, professional surfing circuit, um, was attacked by a shark at 13 years old and lost her arm. It's an inc incredible film if you haven't seen Soul Surfer. But she, and I knew of her before, I was close, followed surfing as an stream sports enthusiast, skateboarding, wakeboarding, surfing, snowboarding. These are the things I followed closely, the athletes, and loved watching the X Games and paying attention to them. So I was very familiar with Bethany and her story. So while I was in the hospital, I, unbeknownst to me, my friend had emailed her fan page, which she got thousands of a, a, a day at that time, especially. Um, and her brother, who managed it, saw the email from my friend about me and told Bethany, hey, I think you should read this one. And she read it and had a number on there to call and she called and that ended up getting her into my hospital where I was. And I got to talk to her while I was in the hospital. That moment triggered everything for me to recognize I'm not alone. And her words were not some complex, complex esoteric statement on how you'll thrive and survive this. It was just, Hey, I understand what you're going through. I'm here for you. Um, it's anything you need. Uh, you're going to get through this and you're going to do great. And that was just all she really needed to say. Um, and it, it allowed me, I'm so fortunate for that. And I recognize the uniqueness in that sort of exchange relationship and opportunity to interact with someone in that way. But it showed me that Although I may live in a world of Raleigh, North Carolina, where I feel like maybe the only one-armed guy in, in, in the world, it's not that case at all. There's so many others that I have not yet been able to meet uh, outside of Bethany. There's some other family friend folks with one arm in the community of North Carolina I was able to know of and know about and learn about. So I recognized, I was like, okay, there are people doing things well, living life with one arm. This is great. So when it came to fitness, I... <laughs> I thought there was a huge opportunity. I thought that there's a lot of barriers to entry in ways that we attempt to exercise. Uh, exercise, I feel like in general, is very intimidating. If we've never done it before, how do we get started? And then I started to think about this population of people living with varying abilities, any form of a disability, any amputation, any paralysis, any limb difference, started to think about all of these individuals. And I thought, if I'm facing this problem where I'm like, how am I going to deadlift? How am I going to do things that promotes longevity? Yes, I could just deadlift one arm, grab that bar in the middle, hold a kettlebell, use a dumbbell, just do it in the middle. But in even not being of an exercise science background 
uh, I recognized how that's not probably very conducive for long-term development. And so I was adamant about figuring out, and I was recognizing the atrophy I was having on this side. I have no reason not to incorporate and use this side. It has full function. There's nothing impaired outside of the amputation of my left side, but it looks very weak and has a ton of atrophy and the the shoulder was dislocating a lot, even when I would just be sleeping, just because there's so much atrophy there. I still have that. I've had that today still. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I was like, how can I combat this? And for a while, whether it was personal training or physical therapy, they'd do some, hold a hand on here and take it through some range of motion. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But how do I become a little bit more independent and own the development of this side? And I started to learn about strength training and all the benefits of it, specifically the deadlift and how it's like the holy grail of trying to get huge, get big, stay strong, develop a posterior chain. Um, whether that's your goal to get huge, get big, or just live a long life of function. Uh, I think the deadlift is one of the greatest movements that there is. So I recognize how do I attach? How do I get this side involved in the deadlift? And through my experience with some orthotic and prosthetic companies, getting a prosthetic arm, recognizing the harness that I would wear to have that arm support, I started messing around with just straps and harnesses. And the first prototype, if you will, the first version was just a yoga strap just, you know, the mm-hmm. fabric yoga strap you can order on Amazon, long strap, black strap, and then um, a TRX mounting sh- harness strap. It's like the strap that has a bunch of little loops yep. in it with a carabiner at one end. That Those are the two things I had. And I said, okay, if I loop this yoga strap through the end of this long TRX strap, and I can get a circle around my shoulder here where it's secure, and then I take the excess of it because... If I just do that, if I just create a loop that rests on my shoulder here and then goes down to the bar, when I, I'm going to be going like this, uh, I have to, for the listeners who aren't able to see, I'm going to have to lift my arm up in order to have my shoulder elevated to keep the strap resting on my shoulder. Whereas proper deadlift technique is dropping the shoulders down and back and, and engaging the lats, the whole posterior, the whole back of your body in the movement. So I thought, and it had a bunch of excess strap hanging off of this yoga strap. So I thought, okay, let me just grab this strap, pull it around under my armpit, around my torso, and tie it back to the loop uh, around my my shoulder of my left arm, just as a way to keep it from slipping off my shoulder. As soon as I did that, I attached that bent over, wrapped that TRX strap around the barbell, clipped it back into the appropriate uh, little loop that kind of mimicked the length of my right arm. And I grabbed onto that bar and got symmetrical. And the first rep, you know, I just empty barbell, 45 pounds. And I just stood up and I felt, and I didn't have a mirror to look at or anything, but I just felt this surreal sense of there's an arm there. Like there's a, there's, my arm is now outside of my body, outside of my knees. It's not in the center of my body where my torso is kind of twisted and dropped down to hold the center position. It's now on the outside. So I think that day, I think I did a hundred reps just, empty barbell just to just to get used to the movement pattern. How does this feel? What's happening? Is it banging against my knee? What's going on here? And a long-winded way of saying that was the first version I thought might be on to something. I used that for years, refined it a little bit, started using like actually kayak grips, uh, padded straps, like little padded neoprene kayak grips that were like yep. five inches long. And I put that on top of the shoulder under the armpit. So I just kept modifying this thing and I just kept putting the links to it. Cause I started to get a lot of people interested. Uh, a lot of people were like, what is that? How are you using it? I know someone with one arm who would benefit from this. 
So I started putting all of the different pieces, components together uh, for like an Amazon list and just sharing that with folks. And then uh, luckily some folks came about who were able and willing to kind of manufacture, produce and manage this process for me. Um, so they do so, they manage it and distribute it. The, the one arm jump rope, the Aldridge arm, uh, the rowing hook, yep. if you ever use a, a rower of any sort in one handed for upper extremity athletes, very difficult to hold on in the middle. So very simple solution, just a metal yep. bar with two I've, metal hooks that are up in right distance to, tell you to get a good center grip. Um, so that's all, that's all available. Uh, all things adaptive.com sells a bunch of, a bunch of adaptive equipment kind of broken up into like upper extremity equipment, lower extremity equipment and seated equipment. Uh, and all is just great breakthroughs that really allows adaptive athletes to thrive in their pursuit of fitness, but more specifically, intentionally in functional fitness, functional movements, big movements that will transfer out of the gym to similar movement patterns needed in everyday life. Uh, and it's been a game changer for me, Logan, the, the Aldridge arm does so much, just not just the deadlift, but I can, um, I, I do a lot of kettlebell work with it and I do suitcase carries with yes. it and I just do things I've never been able to do. And, and I used to tell myself this story, Oh, if I could do this, I would work out more if I could do that. And then all of a sudden I see these things like, okay, well, I don't have an excuse anymore not to do it. So, and my trainer, I ran him through your adaptive class. So he's certified now to, to train adaptive athletes, which is a big deal, big deal. Nice. And, and, and yeah. of course, Awesome. I'm the king of rip off and duplicate. So anytime I see a one arm person doing something out there, I'm going to try to do it as well. And it's, it's been a big deal for me for confidence wise to be able to do those things. And I, I want to talk about the importance of becoming that first adaptive athlete with Peloton. I, I'm a Peloton guy. Now I bought a Peloton as soon as they signed you up. Um, and yeah, and I've been on That's there and I love it. And it's, it's just been really cool to, to see, to be able to be involved with a company that actually sees the need for other people to be in, in, in great shape. So can we run through that real quick? I know we're, we're over our normal time, but I, we're just firing away. So I'm good to keep going. If you are for a little bit, I'm good to keep going. I should have told you before I am a talker. Every question where you, you, you expect to give me five minutes and I take 15, I should have told you no, that's, okay. that's what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, happy to explain. I hope the, hope the listeners are okay with me rambling a bit, but uh, thanks for these questions, man. It's really, really fun to have this opportunity to chat and share this sort of stuff. But um, yeah, Peloton, what a, what an, inc what a dream job. What an incredible opportunity. Like I, I taught a class this morning. I just got, I left the studio, taught at 8am hit cardio class this morning, had members in there, eight members in there. It was, they were fired up. It's Super Bowl Sunday. We had a lot going on. We were talking about a lot. I know this might get dropped later on the podcast, but when we were recording this, at least it was. And so uh, it, it has been uh, something I always knew I wanted to do, but not in terms of Peloton, in terms of access to fitness in terms of my path and exposure first within CrossFit and then more broadly, just fitness in general, recognizing these psychological and physical barriers to entry. And through all of the work with the Adaptive Training Academy, that organization you're talking about that your trainer uh, got certified in being an adaptive and inclusive trainer, uh, through all that work and, and constantly learning, 
like listening, learning, what is needed, what are different folks with different impairments, conditions, what is their barrier to entry, what is the biggest psychological reason as to why they don't feel like they belong or can pursue their fitness track. Um, all of this was at the forefront. And frankly, through the pandemic, it was the biggest eye opener to the fact that we have to make fitness meet people where they are, all people, every individual. But even more so, people living with some sort of condition, disability, I want to stop you for one second because I just want to share it, with everybody the meet yeah. you where you are was so powerful. When him and I had that conversation a few weeks ago, I instantly implemented that to my leadership platform and my coaching that I do in business. And I said, we have to meet people where they are. And our maximum, or I'm sorry, their maximum a lot of times is our minimum and we need to understand and appreciate that. So thank you for opening my eyes to that, Logan. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just, I needed people to understand how important no. that really is. It's a, it's a, it's a key principle. And sometimes I kind of gloss over it in that sense because it makes so much sense to me, but you're exactly right. We're, we get so stuck in the way that we are delivering something or educating or informing someone. We assume that when, they're, they're meeting us where we are. They're ready to go. They're right there, ready to be involved or have some experience or exposure. But no, that's the important part of adaptive training. And frankly, I recognize through the pandemic that uh, connected fitness is the way, you know, we're training gyms, we're going around to facilities and getting certified trainers. And that's fantastic. That's ultimately the end goal is that no, regardless of your ability, condition, impairment, you can go anywhere, perform fitness, participate in group classes, work out with the trainer, join a gym, and you're able to have confidence in the coaching and the guidance and the consideration of your needs in that facility or in that class or in that program. Well, Peloton hit the nail on the head with what they invented and created as connected fitness because a lot of the times it's physical barriers to entry for people with disabilities. So the model of Peloton in terms of take away the bike, take away the tread, take away the rower, just the app, the model is perfect because it takes fitness and makes it less intimidating. It's all around music. It's all around having a good time. We're laughing, telling a little bit of stories, maybe doing a little bit of dancing, having a good time, but also getting after it in some strength training. So the, the model made so much sense. And uh, frankly, I think Peloton saw some videos of me. I think those viral videos back in 2019 of me lifting barbells and doing this sort of stuff. And they thought this would be a great adaptive instructor for us to have. Um, and I think they wanted to step into this adaptive space. They didn't know how they would go about doing this. So we, we started some exploratory conversations, which then uh, led me to explaining that this is exactly what I do. This is everything that I do. Yes, I am this one-arm athlete and competitor, but more importantly, I look at this, this opportunity through a 10,000 foot view where it's not at all about me and being a one-armed athlete. It is about creating accessible solutions for people in fitness, all different abilities and um, conditions to recognize they're seen, represented and have a place to train. So when Peloton started to say, oh, tell us more, how would that work here? Uh, and starting to see what I was doing with Adaptive Training Academy, virtual classes through the pandemic, I was like, this is exactly how we would do this. We create strength classes. You create general categories that encompass most abilities in terms of a seated category and a standing category. Within those categories, I offer a virtual fitness class 
that then exposes and through movement, you learn different adaptive techniques and solutions for movement, for upper extremity conditions, for lower extremity impairment or amputation, and how an above knee versus a below knee might approach this squat and how you can incorporate a uh, third point of contact with that sort of movement to create better mechanics and what to pay attention to. And for our seated athletes, how to focus on training, what what to do to help train the muscles to become more functional in transfers and hinging laterally to pick things up from the side, similar to a deadlift. You know, all of this started to come through where I thought this is exactly the platform to do it. And, um, and this is, it made the most sense. You know, Peloton is the biggest fitness platform. They have the reach, they have the population and the members. So it was a, a dream job opportunity to get to come here and implement not only that, but also teach able-bodied fitness classes, get after it. Just, just show that there's a universal design aspect in all of this. Whereas if you're intimidated by strength training, you've never done it before, maybe you start off learning some adaptive techniques because while I don't interchange the words, what are very similar is adaptive solutions and modifications in fitness. That's so we good. modify like, maybe because we have either. I think people need to hear that again. So like, it's not just about, yeah, it's not just about if you're doing it for an adaptive, it's for everybody. It's for everybody, right? Like, I mean, anybody who's new it's for in everyone. space. Can it's for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what, uh, you know, temporary injuries, you know, you might have a, a knee injury, a hip injury, an ankle injury. You want to continue to train. Um, you want to continue to be involved in your community. More important than the training and more important than maintaining your physical state your psychological state, your mental health, because you have an injury, because you have an impairment, doesn't mean you need to sit on the sidelines or sit out. Uh, so adapting is doing so because of a permanent physical impairment or physiological cognitive impairment that requires an adaptation in order to accomplish the task or accomplish that work output. Uh, whereas modifying, we're going to modify because we're not, we're meeting you where you are. We're not there yet. We need a version of this movement that is not as complex or as intense or as stressful to the body that we will eventually work towards getting to. Doesn't mean we'll always continue to progress and get to that movement, but now we have a clear understanding why we might be choosing this movement versus this other movement, this more intense, more difficult movement. Whereas adapting is creating a standard. Adapting is creating, this is an adapted seated burpee. This is the way seated athletes can do burpee. If you have the capacity, work capacity and ability to do it differently, to get out of your chair and really and create some more similar movement pattern to follow the burpee, by all means, go for it. But we want to give you a place where you feel seen, represented, and have some sort of accountability to hold yourself to in your starting in position, in your points of performance, and your thought about throughout that movement. And that's where empowerment comes from through exercise, through movement. It's not seeing the bulging biceps and your shoulders are jacked and, oh my gosh, now I can pick up the 30s. That's great. That's for sure great. And that will come with time. But it's training the brain so that the body can follow. And in order to train the brain is you have to give the brain understanding concepts that they go, that's why I'm doing it this way. That makes sense why I'm doing it this way. This is going to lead towards me being able to do this outside of the gym. Now you've created a lot of empowerment through movement. And that's, that's the objective of adaptive training. And exactly from the universal design perspective, 
It allows people to access adaptive training and learn great modifications for them because of their temporary impairment or condition or just how they feel that day. And it also allows an incredible home for individuals with permanent impairments. And more, most importantly, last thing I want to say about that is it's not meant for you to live there forever. The adaptive training collection on the Peloton platform, all available through the app. All you got to do is have the app to access all of it. Uh, it's meant to be exactly that. The catalyst to you recognizing you're far more capable than you know or believe or than you've seen or experienced. Here, I'm going to go. I'm going to be right there with you as we go through this. But what I hope happens is that you build the confidence, the encouragement, the skills and strength, physical and mental, to then pursue whatever class you want on the Peloton platform. And you can take anybody's class, anybody's, anytime, because now you know when any other instructor is teaching a class and maybe they're going to squats and you're a seated athlete, you've seen through the adaptive training, this is why when squats are present, a seated athlete does, for example, dips. And this is why dips are performed instead of the squat. So now you're beginning to develop your go-to if-then statements, if-then situations in your own head so that you know how to be included, involved, and have a right appropriate stimulus, physiological response on your body for the appropriate movement that an able-bodied instructor may be selecting in a class. So it begins to become universal in that sense. It's all meant to be the catalyst to showing you more you can and do more and more. more than you thought. So, so here, here, here's what, here's what my brain is doing right now, because it's just like, first of all, if I think of Logan Aldridge before I ever met him on a call or in person, I knew of him as a one-armed badass athlete survivor, right? Now someone asked me, I'm going to say thoughtful and smart. One of the smartest people I've ever had an opportunity to have a conversation with dude. And just a badass, like, I, like, just like, Ooh, dude, like, I can't even, like, I literally have chills, Logan, from the stuff, like, and just, I'm like, the number of people you're going to be able to help with the attitude that you have is, like, I can't even put the number on it, dude. So the impact you've had on my life in just such a short time period, I can't wait to see where we can go with that relationship. Because I think we can both teach each other different things with life. And, and, and help leverage that to help other kids. You know, I have this big goal in the next five years to build an all adaptive gym here in central Florida. And I, the big goal is to have it be the adaptive training yes. headquarters of the world for all athlete, all adaptive athletes. So that's one of the focuses I have, but I have a responsibility to help other people where I was years ago with that and parents out there that can hear this now and see the possibilities for their kids is unbelievable. And I just want to thank you, Logan, for, first of all, responding to my DM when I first DM'd you, I think it's been three years ago. I think it was 2019 and we continue to talk yeah, through yeah. things. I always tag him in my, a lot of my posts just because I want him to, to be, I want him to be happy. Like say, dude, look what I, you taught me to do, right? Like check out what I've been able to do because Love it. of the connection I've had with you. So if people want to reach out to you, Logan, and, and have you even talk to their kids are going through stuff or have you come and speak at events or whatever? What's the best way to do that? Yeah. Great question. Thank you, Chris. Amazing. Kind words, man. You're over here making me <laughs> blush saying all these sweet things about me. I appreciate you. Uh, feel the same way, man. It's all, all mutual likewise, but uh, best way to get in touch with me. Um, Instagram is where I'm most active, but that's a bit 
I mean, I mean, I'd be lying if I said, yeah, shoot me a DM and I'll see that and respond. There's a lot in there. Um, best way is email. And it's through my Instagram. You can email, but um, pretty easy inst- uh, email address to remember. It's just an arm at gmail.com. Uh, that's my email. Uh, that's the best way to reach out for, yes, any of those opportunities. Would love to work with kids. I do a lot of speaking engagements, uh, professional and um, more local and regional, but um, I love that stuff. I love spreading this message. You know, it's not, it's not just about showing adaptive athletes what they're capable of. It's reminding everyone that we have some sort of limitation in our thoughts and perspective and how we can become more than who we are, more than what we are, is through this lens of um, constantly trying to innovate and improve, uh, recognize the challenge, uh, the problem, but be focused on a solution. Um, And that's constantly what I'm trying to do here in fitness and and the way I interact with folks. And I'm so thankful to have crossed paths with you and have this opportunity to come on here and chat. Uh, excited to do many more. So yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, Thank we'll, you, Chris. We'll, we're definitely going to have to do this again because we could probably go for like three or four hours. So let's, let's, uh, we'll get this one wrapped up and then we definitely need to get together again. And, and I just, again, I want to thank you for, for getting me on your schedule. I know you're a busy dude and I, I I'm very uh, grateful for that. And, I can't wait to go play in a golf tournament with you. And I don't want to be in the same foursome as Jesse because Jesse just is like, he's better than any two arm golfer I know. So I don't even want to be in the same, like anywhere near him. Literally, he's the best golfer I've ever played with in my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, however many arms, doesn't matter. Yeah, I've never played with someone that good. It was incredible to see. Yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. But yeah, we will have to make some golf happen sometime. Some training, some fitness together. We'll do it Love all. To. It'll be Love awesome. To. All right, man. Well, thanks again for hopping on here. I'm going to end this and then you and I can chat for a minute. So, Great. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much for tuning in to the One Hand at a Time podcast today. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and share. I'm often asked if I'm available for speaking opportunities or accepting new coaching clients. The answer is yes. Feel free to click the Calendly link in the show notes to set up a 30-minute call with myself. And remember as we move forward in life, We do it one hand at a time.